So tonight we come to uh, the second commandment. Um, it is one of the longer commandments. It's three verses here. It's one of the. It's the. It's the second longest. Um, and uh, John Frame noted that it's interesting that that the two longer two longest commandments are the ones that are most most difficult to understand the meaning of today. Um, and this is one of those. It's it's debated today, the meaning of this commandment, the full meaning of this commandment. So uh, one of the things that, that isn't even really part of that, well, it is part of the debate, but not really about the meaning of the commandment, is whether or not the second commandment, the thing that we call the second commandment here, is really part of the first commandment, um, as it is numbered um, by, by some, including the Roman Catholic Church and, and many Lutheran churches, uh, consider these two commandments to be one. Um, and so we'll just read into um, the second commandment by starting with the first. Um, and so we'll just read through these few verses I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So that's Deuteronomy 5, 6. That's really the preamble, um, or you could call it the introduction to the Ten Commandments. Um, It's not one of the commandments, but it is uh, important to all of them. You shall have no other gods before me. So that's the first commandment that we considered Um, last time. And so now let's just add verse 8 to it, and you'll see how they fit together. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And so as you read those two verses together, you can see how uh, the second commandment, starting in verse 8, could could be part of um, the first commandment. It seems like it's an expansion or maybe even an explanation of what uh, is in the first commandment. So uh, Daniel Block, who, again, he was in, this, in our church uh, a few years ago, uh, an expert on Deuteronomy, actually does think that. Um, even though he's not Roman Catholic or Lutheran, he does actually think that um, this is part of the first commandment. And not only from the context, but text, but also the Hebrew text, uh, as we have it today, with the breaks that are put in there, would back him up. Um, there are the Hebrew text has ten sections in the Ten Commandments. Um, but there isn't a break between verses 7 and, and 8. So it concludes, includes those um, as one commandment. Um, the break isn't until after uh, verse 10. So uh, here's the rest of the second commandment. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me 
and keep my commandments. So that's where the second commandment ends. Um, and that's where the first break in the Hebrew uh, Ten Commandments uh, ends as well. But we'll, keep, we'll treat it as, a second, as the second commandment because that's the way we've numbered it uh, all along. And we always do a little quick review here as we start. So uh, just remember that um, Deuteronomy is broken down like this. There are really four parts to it. Um, three messages from Moses um, to the people of Israel before they are going into the promised land to tell them how they are to live in the promised land. When you get to the promised land, this is what you are to do. So um, we're in the second message. You can see we're in chapter 5, and we're working through the Ten Commandments, which are part of that that second message, uh, and we're doing one commandment per week. So quickly, last time, uh, it was just those two verses that we started with. I am the Lord your God. And again, this isn't part of the commandment, of the first commandment. It is the, but it is foundational to all of the commandments. So God doesn't give us the commandments without telling us who he is and why we should care about the commandments. This is part of the covenant that God makes with the people of Israel, and this is the introduction to that covenant. He says, I am the Lord your God, or I am Yahweh your God. So often, we talked about this last last time, that often um, you, you hear this, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, or the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he very distinctly says with this covenant, I'm making this covenant with you, I am your God. Um, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of slavery. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Um, And this is my covenant with you. Um, And you, as my people, I as your God, you as my people, there are ten things you need to do um, in this covenant statement or covenant summary a covenant document, and this is the first one of those. You shall have no other gods uh, before me. So that's what we talked about last time, and we tend to think of this or have thought of this. I I did for many years um, that this means that, you know, if there are other things on my list of things that, that I love, that, that I need to make sure none of them pass God, that he needs to be the highest of my, all of my loves, whatever they are. Uh, but that's not really what it means to be. It's not like a hierarchy of, of loves. It's more like you will have no other gods in my presence, not in front of me as in above me on the list. 
No one, no thing is to compete with me. A little while earlier in Deuteronomy, it said, Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. There is no list. Um, There can be no rivals to God at all. So tonight, we're going to deal with some of the things that might be rivals to God, or, or gods besides Yahweh. Gods with a little g that, that might compete with Yahweh. So, uh, the people are in the place where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And in that land, there are several different kinds, several different peoples. Um, and all of them believe in multiple gods. All of them believe in, there's probably a pretty even or pretty Um, similar view of who the gods were that they were to worship in this area. Um, But the Lord demands exclusive loyalty. They did not. Their gods did not. You could worship other gods. And so if you want to get along in this new culture, um, you need to add to your worship Baal. Or, or Ashtarte, um, who were commonly represented by images. So the second commandment clarifies that this means that, that the first commandment means that there aren't you can't have any other gods along with the Lord. There can't be any rivals to Him. Uh, And so let's get started with the second commandment, and we're going to um, ask and at least partially answer uh, three questions tonight. First, what does it mean? So what does the second commandment mean? Okay. And there's a narrow meaning and a a broader meaning. Why is it necessary? Why do, do we need this commandment? And thirdly, why does it matter? So let's read our read the commandment again, uh, and then we will um, talk about it. So you shall have you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, anything that was is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, what does this mean? And so as we go through this, we'll we'll focus primarily on verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. Um, to get that understanding of what the commandment means. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. So does this mean that we can't make 
a carved image of anything. If you look at the list there, it's pretty extensive. Um, carved image is a, is a really good translation. I think New American Standard might say idol, if you have it. It says idol. Okay, so it's a really good translation, um, carved image. Um, it isn't always... Um, well, I'm going to back up. It isn't ever used in Scripture for something that isn't an idol. That would be why, probably why the New American Standard translates it as idol, to, to help clarify that this is an idol. You're not to make an idol. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't have, uh, can't have artwork. So the question then is, does it, prevent, does it, does it forbid only carved images? Um, and not, but how about cast images, like the golden calf? Well, the next help phrase helps. In the ESV, it's translated, um, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness. So that broadens the meaning the ESV has. Uh, but but the one thing to note is or is not in the text. Um, it's not in the Hebrew text. So you could you could think that it's actually narrowing it down. But but through other scriptures you'll see that it does include um, all other things that you would consider idols and and maybe even more than that. So uh, the rest of verse eight though will help us understand uh, even more. Or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So that much, pretty much um, covers all of creation. Um, I'm not sure what else there is, um, but we're not supposed to make an idol of anything that is created. One thing that it doesn't address here, in the narrow understanding of the, um, the commandment, it doesn't address images of God, of the one true God, at this point. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So we're not supposed to make, here's, here's what it means in a narrow sense, we're not supposed to make uh, an image of anything, any created thing, in order to bow down and serve it, in order to treat it like a god. So that's, that's the really narrow definition of that, and I don't really think there's much disagreement about what that is. I mean, by the text, that, that's, that's what it seems to mean, right? But there is a broader meaning to the text. In fact, there's, there's a range of broader meanings to the text that, that are believed and thought to be part of this. Um, one of those, let's, I'll just give you the range. One is that, that basically um, we shouldn't have anything like this, any of these images in our place of worship. So that, that's one, you know, kind of a little bit bigger example that we now just kind of making the point that we can't have, we shouldn't have this in our building. Um, and then on another extreme, no, images are fine, 
crucifixes are fine. Um, other images of God or are fine. Um, so that there is there's a range of what that means. Um, and an even broader understanding of the commandment is that God commands the way we are to worship in Scripture and we're to worship that way and only that way. Um, and so... We have to remain in those limits. So those are broad understandings, and, and we're not going to get too much into arguments for or against those things. But we are going to look at one passage that, that, there, that definitely shows that there is more than just the narrow meaning to um, this, this passage. So this is from Deuteronomy. Let's, let's just turn back a chapter um, to Deuteronomy 4, uh, and it will sound very similar to this commandment, but Deuteronomy 4, um, verses 14 to 19. So this is Moses explaining as part of the previous message that he was giving, the first part of the book. Um, the giving of the Ten Commandments. I'll start in verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of fire, again, that's Sinai. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And... Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you shall be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So a couple of observations about this. You saw no form. Uh, in verse 15, this is the grounds for, or used as the grounds for, you shouldn't make an image of God. You only heard his voice, you didn't see the form, so be any form, so be careful not to make images. Still doesn't specifically say about him. Uh, sometimes it's framed as that, that God is in, invisible, and so anything we do, any form we would make, picture of God, would diminish his glory, uh, and so we shouldn't do that. Uh, on, the, on the other side of that argument is, is somebody like John Frame, who says, well, but God appears in a visual form many times in Scripture. Um, and so, uh, yes, he's invisible, he's spirit, but he appears in a physical Way. So we're not going to really debate that. Um, so would it mean then that we shouldn't have any kind of images in our, 
any of these things in our place of worship. Um, no, it, it can't mean that because the tabernacle uh, had images of cherubim, angels in them, images of other things in creation as well. But the other thing I wanted to point out is this expands it. This was the commandment itself. Um, the second commandment says, don't make anything. This passage, verse 19 says, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and worship them. So it goes beyond what you make. It's, be, it's now what you look at. Anything that you look at that might take your love and devotion away from God would be prohibited. Right? It's part of the same list. It's added on to that list. Um, so we might think, well, that's okay. I mean, we're not really, I'm not really tempted to worship an idol. And I'm not tempted to look at the, the, the sun and the moon and to worship it. At least I don't think I am. You probably think I'm not either. I'm not tempted to do any things. Are there any other things that we, that we can see that might draw our allegiance away from God, the one true God? Is there anything else that would make it less likely that I was, as Pastor Randy mentioned today, here in order to keep, in order to do these commandments? Is there anything else that would, that would hinder my efforts from hearing, keeping, or doing God's commandments. Um, Randy mentioned the McShane reading plan this morning. Um, we might think, well, you know, I don't really have, I don't really have time to um, read a plan like that. I'm not sure I have time to read through um, the Old Testament in a year and Psalms twice and the New Testament twice. Um, if you have a cell phone, if you have a smartphone, you can look on there and see how much time you spend on your smartphone. I'm pretty sure that, that most of us spend more time in, on that cell phone that we could be using to study God's word that would make it no problem. <laughs> no problem at all to, to read, to hear um, what God has say. So anything that keeps us from hearing, from keeping, from doing these things can be idols for us. So why is this commandment 
um, necessary. So we'll we'll answer that from in in two or three ways here. Um, let's uh, let's first enter it from the context of the people of Israel entering the land of Canaan, uh, the promised land, and then then we'll look at verse nine and maybe add one more thing on the end. So. From the perspective of the people entering the promised land. Let's just look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Why is this commandment necessary? This might tell us all we need to know. Um, so I'll, I'll read the passage um, seven through uh, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives, you, gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Now, so that, that discussion is for another time other than to say that he says to do that you shall not you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them you shall not intermarry with them giving their daughters to your sons or taking their daughters for your sons for and here's the reason why for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images, carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the reason that this commandment is necessary is because we are easily influenced by the surrounding culture. Even more so, we are influenced by our friends. And it's easier to influence somebody to do evil than it is to influence them to do good. So if we think that we're going to be able to influence some people, we'll, we'll befriend them. Um, in this case, that's what the Israelites were. They're separate people. If they thought that they would be able to, maybe we'll get, be able to convert the Girgashites if we leave them. Well, that, that won't happen we all know the, um, the proverb um, quoted in um, the New Testament, bad company corrupts good morals. We might think, well, you know, not in my case. Um, bad company doesn't corrupt good morals. I, I'm pretty solid. Well, that was only part of the verse. It begins... Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So we need this commandment. Um, 
in order to remind us that bad company corrupts good morals. And so we need to make sure that we have this. Next thing, don't intermarry. You will end up worshiping their gods. Um, we all, if, if friends matter, um, a spouse matters more. And this is just from 41 years of experience here. So if, if you've got more than that, that's great. You, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You become more like your spouse, and your spouse becomes more like you. Um, you may start out as opposites because opposites attract, but you start moving toward being like the other person. <laughs> For me, that's, that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> For Brenda, not so much, but <laughs> break down, dash into pieces, chop down, and burn their objects of worship. That's what it tells them to do. Make sure you don't need them around. You leave them around. You will be tempted to go, well, I wonder how the Canaanites would do this if you leave it around. And the reason is because we are, Israel was a holy people, and we are too. So why else is this commandment necessary? You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down or Serve them. For, here's the reason. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So if you're thinking, if you're, if you're in here and you're hearing that and you're going, boy, didn't we just talk about this? Um, well, yes, in, on March 23rd of 2023, and so 10 months ago, uh, we, when we were in Exodus 34, we talked about this. Pastor Dan um, taught on, on Deuteronomy 4 um, maybe a month ago or so, not too long ago. He might have, have brought this up too. But, but we don't really, most people don't like the idea of a jealous God. Most people probably think, well, I'm not sure that I quite understand what that could possibly be and how that could be a good thing. I mean, God is all love. And our problem is that we think of jealousy um, in our standards, what we consider jealousy. God's jealousy is not like the way we typically think of it with in a negative way. So this term... Jealous God is used five times in, in the Old Testament. Every single time. It is with reference to idols. Every single time. So if we're thinking that this is a broad thing, that God is jealous about everything, I am a jealous God, it's used every single time um, for that. So the Lord is a jealous God, 
always has to do with protecting his people from becoming worshipers of other gods. It always is like that. It's like, if you could imagine, a completely righteous husband um, with a wife who, is, who goes astray with another man, um, and even though he has done everything perfectly. Everything, though, that's what it is. Uh, John Frame puts it this way, To my knowledge, Scripture never presents this kind of jealousy as a negative trait, ever. So he would include in that a husband, a righteous husband, a righteous human husband who is jealous when his wife leaves him. That would be, that is not spoken of in a negative way. So, and it is possible for a human to experience good something that would be good, considered good jealousy. There actually was this morning um, when we were talking about Elijah. Um, there's an example that, that Randy actually read this morning from 1 Kings chapter 19. And depending on your translation, you might not have this exact set of words, but I'm going to read it to you from the ESV because um, it it represents um, the same word used the same way um, from this commandment. This is 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. And and as I start to read it, you'll probably recognize it from this morning. There he came to a cave, this is talking about Elijah, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, And killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life, to take it away, etc. So, Elijah, basically, being, trying to imitate God, is very jealous for the people of Israel. Jealous for God, because of the people. So he... It, that's a good thing that he is that way. So jealousy is not always a terrible thing. But one thing we should be sure of is that it is a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. So this would be um, part of the passage that, that Pastor Dan taught on, maybe right at the end. Um, I don't think it included all of this uh, passage. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a a serious thing about the jealousy of God. For the Lord, this is, um, I'll start in verse 23, I guess. Deuteronomy 4, 23. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made, with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. 
carved images in there again. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from, that, from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. So that's why. That's why that commandment is necessary. That's why um, that, that this is a good thing. This is a loving thing that God warns us um, with this. So why is it necessary? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take time to do one more thing. Um, and this is from John Calvin's sermon on this passage. So, on the second commandment, he starts out. He starts out his sermon like this. Because men are so inclined to corrupt the, the worship of God by malicious superstitions, it is expedient for God to threaten them in order that they might be retained by force. Or otherwise, their vanity will carry them away to the extent that they will imagine of God all that is contrary to his majesty. And this is a notable point which is emphasized here, one we have already touched on. For since the people of Israel knew the living God, it seems most unnecessary for him to prohibit them from making any images for themselves. But due to our wretched inclination, it was necessary for this prohibition to be added with vigorous force if we were to see it. And it is also to our benefit that such was done. So this helps us. This commandment, this, the threat that, that God gives here helps us. It Helps us. So the last point then, um, the last question is, why is it necessary? So we've, we've, or excuse me, why does it matter? So we've answered, we've read over the passage, and we'll, we'll have to shorten this and summarize it. So from verses 9, um, the, the second part of 9, or after the first clause, um, and verse 10, for the Lord, for, uh, we'll start with, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we often can't get to verse 10 because we get hung up on verse 9. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. First of all, notice who, who gets this visiting of the iniquity. 
though the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Um, and we, what we might miss is that third and fourth generations is contrasted with thousands of those who he shows his steadfast love. And, and Block points out this, that you would often have three, maybe four generations living together at this time. And so you could say his moment, his anger is for a moment. But his love is forever. His steadfast love is forever out of the Psalms. His steadfast love is forever. So God visiting the iniquity on his, on the third and fourth generations doesn't mean that he punishes um, a generation for their father's sins. It means more likely this, that, that the father, if, if I'm a father, I am a father, if I worship idols in my household, what do I do? I set up my next generation for worshiping idols. If there are two generations living with me, I do the same thing. And we know that God's acting on our behalf, showing us mercy and grace, is always his action. And so if we exist, if we create this culture of idol worship, we know that God is the one that grants mercy and compassion. What if he doesn't? Then we go the way we want to go. Uh, and so, if a person in that third or fourth generation, this, this is actually in scripture, talking about the very similar thing, repents, God will show that person in the next generation mercy. So it isn't that God punishes the next generation. It's that he visits that iniquity on them. But steadfast love on those, on thousands for those who love me and keep my commandments. So why does it matter then, this commandment? Because, how does it end? Thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Just to close out, I've never, I don't think, read any. I don't know what you guys think of John Calvin. Um, I don't think I've ever read anything touching on the necessity of love for um you know, this last part of it, love me and keep my commandments. They're equated. Loving God is keeping his commandments. Jesus says that too. But, but Calvin points out, out this. We can never know, I say, what it is to observe the law of God, in order what to do it, what to keep his commandments. 
and to live by it unless we begin with love. Why? Because God wants willing submission. He does not solely want us to worship him out of servile fear. Rather, he wants us to come to him with sincere and cheerful heart, so much so that we take pleasure in honoring him. And that cannot be done unless we love him. Can't keep the commandments, really, unless we love him. Thus, let us take note that the beginning of obedience, and as well as its source, foundation, and root, is the love of God. That we would not attempt to come to him unless we found him, in him, our deepest pleasure. Making the point that commandment keeping is a waste of time if you don't start with love. If we start with our love for God, we would automatically, that would be our life's concern, keeping his commandments. Let's close in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for your word um, tonight, uh, the second commandment that we need to remind us that, that you had, there's no one like you, and anything that we put in that place where we are robbing you of our love by loving something else is sinful toward you. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our many sins that as you have uh, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and our need for him is so evident as we examine our own hearts. Lord, we pray that you would be uh, with this group tonight and as we go out this week. In Jesus' name, amen.